already started. All right, well, uh, well, hello, my name's Andrew. Welcome to Cross City this morning. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm glad that you're here with us. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'd love to do that. So say hi to me after the service. Um, but you uh, today get to jump in with us as we continue our journey through the book of Romans. So if you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and take that Bible out and turn it to towards the back to the book of Romans. And today we're going to be in chapter 6, as we just saw from our brother Seth. So kind to read that for us. Is this working now? Hey, there we go. All right. Um, so, so this morning we continue. We're finishing out uh, chapter 6. And, and as we've seen uh, in, our, in our little journey through, here, through this book of Romans, that you know, Paul keeps kind of coming back to these, um, these points, these themes that he's trying to make for the people of Rome. He's teaching them, he's, he's trying to expound to them what the gospel is and how they should live in light of it. And we see that he's, he's speaking to a people in a place that the gospel has clearly come to. The gospel has come to Rome and it has done what the gospel does. The gospel has showed up to the people in Rome and it has changed them. It has changed their lives. The gospel in its pure, unadulterated state will do that it will show up at a place and it'll change people's hearts it'll change their lives it'll it'll flip their worlds upside down the gospel the real gospel is a gospel as we just sung about a few minutes ago it's a gospel of freedom we love to see, we love to talk about that we love to reflect on that and think about this idea that the gospel gives us freedom but what does that mean if you read our text today, it kind of seems like it's talking about the opposite of freedom. But we, we see all throughout the New Testament this idea that the gospel brings with it, as it comes and does what it does, it is, as Paul says earlier, the power to save, and it brings with it freedom. Freedom from the impossible weight of self-salvation. Freedom from death, freedom from the death that sin brings with it, freedom from the wrath of God that we have rightly earned and deserve, freedom from all of these things. And so the message so far in the book of Romans, as we have seen, is that you and I are sinners. Everyone who walks the earth is a sinner, and we will be judged for our sin. And God's, God's standard of judgment is perfect righteousness. That's his standard. On your own and on my own, we will never achieve that. We will never reach that standard on our own. But Jesus has achieved it for us. And he offers it to us freely by his grace as a gift. The way we receive it is we stop trying to save ourselves and we put our faith and our trust in Jesus. We hang our, all of our hope, all of our faith, all of our trust, all of our allegiance, we, we put it all firmly on Jesus alone and nothing else. And once we do that, once we repent and turn from our sin and we turn to Jesus, we are now eternally united with him. We are joined together with him forever 
And the people of Rome, they hear this. And they go, you know what? That's good news. And Paul's like, you're right. That's why we call it good news. It is good news. And they say, we like this good news. This, this good news is changing us. It's changed, my, it's changed us. We no longer have to live under the law. We no longer have to face God's condemnation. We can have true rest in our souls. And they're saying, Paul, so just to be clear, Paul, you're, you're saying that none of this is our own works. And he's like, yeah. It's not given to us based on our obedience to God. It's all a gift of grace. And in fact, God gives it to us in spite of our disobedience to him. Paul's like, yeah. No matter how much I've sinned, no matter how much I will sin, God's grace will always overpower my sin. That's what you're saying. They're like, Paul's like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. And then you can sort of hear Paul like either addressing their direct question or anticipating their question of like, okay, so does that mean that we just get to do whatever we want now? Does this mean we just live however we want and just do whatever we feel like we want to do? You just said that the more we sin, the more that God's grace gets magnified. So does that mean that we should just keep sinning and do whatever we feel like we should do in the moment? And Paul's like, okay, hold on, time out. But he's by no means, right? He keeps hitting this, by no means, right? He says, you're missing, you're missing something here. He's either anticipating them missing something or they actually are missing something. You're missing, you're missing this fact, right? You're missing the fact that that we as humans, we are never created to be in charge of ourselves. It's not how we're made. Even though we, we like to think of ourselves in those terms sometimes, that's not how God made us to be. We are not made for autonomy. No matter what you, who you think you are, no matter what position you hold in society, or whatever position you have in your company, Wherever you, however you consider yourself, you are not made to be an autonomous, self-governing person. The gospel frees you. But the gospel doesn't release you to autonomy. The gospel doesn't... The, the gospel transfers you to a different authority. We see this very clearly in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. It says, He, God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to what? The kingdom of His beloved Son. It's not, it's not that God finds you in the woods trapped in a bear trap and cuts you loose and sets you off back into the wild. That's not what the gospel does to us. The gospel transfers us from one kingdom to another kingdom. And the thing about a kingdom is that those kingdoms have kings. And you are not the king of either kingdom, the Bible says. This is, this is what we see. That's never been God's intention with the gospel. So when we use that word freedom, we have to, we have to think about it rightly. God's intention 
for humanity has never been that we would be self-governed, autonomous beings. God's intention for us is that we would be ruled and governed by Him. That He would be our King. Because here's the thing. We are created to give ourselves to something. We're going to give ourselves over this is, this is kind of what the heart of what worship is. Giving ourselves over into the service of something or someone, right? We are, we are created to give ourselves to something. Paul uses this language, present yourself. Presenting ourselves, he says. Every one of us, all the time, every day, all day, is presenting ourselves. We're giving ourselves over to something. created to do that we give ourselves over to what we see as the highest good what do we what do we see as the highest good what is of most value to us what is worth in our minds in any given moment of us giving ourselves over to maybe that's power maybe that's comfort or money maybe that's a certain reputation that we want people to have of us Maybe that's a certain political leaning. Or maybe it's God and God's ways. Could be a number of things. But we're always, in any given moment, we're, we're, we're giving ourselves into the service of something. We're, we're making our decisions. We're, we're responding in certain ways. We're, we're valuing certain things. We're making our priorities list based upon something. And we're giving ourselves over to that, whatever that ideal is, whatever that thought is, whatever that... What do we perceive to be right and good in any given moment? This is how we're designed. It's hardwired into us as humans. So Paul's saying we've, we've been freed from the chains of the law of sin and death. We've been released from them. We've been released from the chains of, of having to save yourself, of having to make yourself right. We are now under what he says is grace. We are now, we're no longer under this, this idea of the law. We are now under grace. Our standing before God no longer rises or falls based upon our ability to do what God says. Our standing for, before God is, is locked in to the person of Jesus. We are united with him. This is what Paul has been talking about in the first five and a half chapters. The whole thing has been that idea. So what now do we do with this newfound freedom from the law? What do we do with it? How do we think about it? Galatians 5. Paul's talking about this idea of freedom. The whole chapter is about this idea of freedom. He says, yes, you were called to freedom. That's what God, God has called you to freedom. He says, but do not use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Ah, okay. So here's, here's, a, here's a, a shape that he's giving to this now, right? He's saying, yes, it is for freedom. We just sang that. Right? It is for freedom that God has set us free so that we can actually live as free people. He says, but... But that doesn't mean that God's just 
cuts you loose and sends you out to sea. It doesn't mean that you get to now be the king of your own life. And God's saying, here you go. Your life is yours now. Do with it as you please. You're free. That's not what God is saying to us. Paul is saying, no, we don't use that freedom that God has given to us as an opportunity for the flesh, right, which is our which is the sinful nature that we have, right? We don't use it for that. We don't use it for an opportunity for the flesh. And he's going to tell us why. He's going to explain why that doesn't make sense. It's not just like this, this uh, no, new arbitrary set of rules. He's like, no, there's, this may, there's a reason for this. He's like, don't give yourself back to the very thing that was destroying you. Why, why would you do that? It's, you see, we see this kind of picture all throughout the Bible, right? We see the Israelites... God frees them from Egypt, this oppressive, ruling slavery that they're in in the land of Egypt, where they were worked mercilessly and, and killed and, and crushed as a people. They tried to destroy them, and God delivers them from this freedom and gives them freedom from, from the Egyptians, right? And what, what happens? They get, like five minutes later, they, they hit an obstacle, and they go, we got to go back. Let's go back. It's getting weird and hard, and we're not sure what's going on out here. Let's just go back. At least we were familiar with this. Moses is like, what? You see this, this idea that Paul's talking about. It's the same kind of idea. We don't, when God sets us free, he's setting us free from the bondage. right? He's setting us free from the oppression of, sla- of sin. He said, why would, you, why would you then go back to that? It doesn't make sense. Look what he says in verse 16. Do you not know? That if you present yourselves, so there's that language again, right? Offering ourselves, giving ourselves up, presenting ourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you're slaves of the one whom you obey. Either, he gives two options. There's only two. Either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. There's, there's two choices. And only two choices. Remember back to chapter 3 of Romans. Where Paul's talking about our sinful nature. He's, just, he's helping us to see ourselves accurately. Giving us the, the correct diagnosis for what's wrong with us. He says, before grace, you were still under the law. And you were unable to give you're, you're unable in that state to give yourself over to anything other than sin. That's what he's saying. You don't have the ability, even if you might think that you want to, you don't actually want to. You don't have the ability to give yourself to anything other than sin, to death. That's, what, that's the only thing that your heart is chasing. That's what he's telling us in Romans 3. No one does good, not one person. Nothing about us is, is, is righteous as God defines righteousness. We are, we're only and always pursuing sin and death in our flesh. While we're under the law, that's it. He's like, that's, that's just the reality. But what God's grace does is God grace, God's grace invades that. It invades that sinful nature and it makes it alive. He says, 
what was dead is now alive. We just talked about that in the, earlier in this chapter, right? We were once dead to sin, but now we are alive to God in Christ Jesus. So there's a change that has happened. When grace comes in, grace invades and it transforms. What grace does is it gives us now a new capacity. It gives us a new capacity where, whereas before we were unable to give ourselves to God in righteousness. We were unable to do that. Now, what God has done is he's, he's moved in, and we, the picture that he gives us is he takes out the heart of stone, and he puts in a heart of flesh, a heart with capacity to do what he's asking it to do. It's like a software update, right? Boop, boop, boop. 15.4, right? Like, oh, I can do things now that I couldn't do before. I can download the new apps that I couldn't download before. This is what grace does. It, it, it invades and it awakens and it brings life and new capacity to our heart and to our soul. This is what Paul's talking about here. Whereas before we were, we were under this yoke, right? This, we were, we were sh- uh, shackled to this yoke of sin, which, which leads on, where it's being driven only to death. He says, no, no, now we are free from that yoke. We're free from that slavery. We've been made alive to God, and we've been given now the ability to give ourselves to God in righteousness, to life. We're, we're now able to give ourselves over to something that will bring us Instead of death, it will bring us now life. And this ability, as we see, it comes from deep within us, right? This isn't just an external change. This isn't just a new coat of paint that God puts on us. This is something that happens deep inside of us. Look in verse 17. It says, but thanks be to God. (laughs) He's praising God because God is the source and the originator of this grace that comes and invades doesn't come from us. He's, he's very clear about that. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin, slaves of sin, okay, have become obedient. And notice what it says next. From the heart. You've, come, you've become obedient, not just externally, but you become obedient from the heart. See, the Pharisees figured out how to become obedient externally. And Jesus shows up and he goes, you guys are missing it. You're missing it because you're whitewashed tombs, right? The outside looks like it's alive, but it's actually a tomb. There's a dead corpse on the inside. So you can fool other people, but you can't fool me, Jesus is saying. But now we see this picture, right, where, where Paul's saying, hey, but that's not you guys. That's, that's, what the, that's what God's grace does. Is it, invades, it invades the whitewashed tomb. And it awakens the corpse that's inside and it makes it alive. And now it's not just a whitewashed tomb, right? It's a space capsule with a person inside of it. So, you, so you've become obedient, but not just externally, but you've become obedient in your heart. And that's where obedience has to come from in order for God to consider it righteous. And it's obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, the gospel. 
It's coming from the gospel. It's coming from the teaching that you heard. The gospel is the power to save you. And guess what? It has. And it's changed your heart. And now you can become obedient from your heart. You don't have to become obedient for your heart. Our problem of sin is not just a behavior problem. We know it's a heart problem, correct? We don't just have sinful actions. We have sinful nature. We saw this in in chapter 5. We're born into this. Our our sinful slavery, we're born into it. From From our first father, Adam, all the way down. It's something that we inherit. But now, he's saying... That old self that was born of Adam is dead. It's been crucified. It's been nailed to the cross. It's been crucified with Christ. And, and you with it now have been resurrected. We are united with him in his death, crucifying our old sinful self. And now we are united with him in his resurrection. And we are given new life in him. This is what he's, he's trying to help. He's like, guys, no, no, no. You're missing the, you can't, you can't, that's, that, that shouldn't be your first question. So we get to just do whatever we want now. He's like, no, no, hold on. You're, you're missing, you're missing all this stuff that's happening here. Think about it for a second. If all of this is true, that question doesn't even make sense. Why would we go, why would we go back to that? Why would we go back to Egypt? We don't want to go back to Egypt. We want to make, bricks all day doesn't make sense right remember we, we we talked about this this paradigm a few weeks ago right jesus death saves us from the penalty of sin we, we, we become justified before god by jesus sacrificial atoning substitution death for us he stepped in for us substituted himself on our behalf and took the wrath of God upon himself as our substitute, satisfying the wrath of God for the people of God. Thereby releasing us from the penalty that we had earned of our sin, which is eternal death. So we no longer have to face that penalty anymore, forever. There's no condemnation anymore for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's going to tell us that later. Spoiler alert. And then... The same power that raised Christ from the dead, he says, now lives in us. Which now gives us this new capacity that God implants in us. Not by us. We don't, we don't come up with it. We don't originate it. God implants it in us through his spirit now that we are delivered from the power of sin. This is what he's talking about. We're no longer a slave to it. We have, we have this power that's been given to us by God's spirit through his resurrection We're not a slave to it anymore. We can actually have power over what we could not have power over before. Sin is no longer our master. That doesn't mean that sin goes away right away. It doesn't mean that it doesn't affect us or try to affect us, or that the enemy doesn't want to destroy us still. All of that's still true. He's saying you have been given a new capacity now. You've been given power through the Spirit of God in you to go to war with this sin. You have what it takes now to battle with this sin. Whereas before you didn't, you were helpless against it. And now you are able to fight it with the Spirit of God. You have the capacity to do that. 
We've been given new hearts, hearts of flesh, hearts that are able now because of the righteousness of Christ given to us and the Spirit of God living in us to live with righteousness. It's possible. We don't, we're not promised that we're going to do it perfectly from day one. That's not what God is saying. He's saying this, you're, now entered, you're now engaged in a different trajectory. You're set on a different path toward righteousness as opposed to towards death, towards life, and now away from death. We've changed our trajectory. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about this, this light switch that goes on and like, oh, I'm perfect now. No, he's saying you've been, you, you've been course corrected and empowered to reach the place that God is taking you. And it's all by his grace. So Paul is saying, you're going to give yourself to something. Remember that. It's how you're made. You're going to give yourself to something. You have to ask yourself what that, what that is. All throughout every moment of every day, we really should be asking ourselves that question. What am I giving myself to right now? God's grace is power. We just talked about that. And there's two choices, right? God's grace is power. It moves in. It invades. It changes. It brings life where there was death. It brings capacity where there was incapacity before. And now we have this ability to give ourselves to one of two things. We give ourselves to life, or we can give ourselves to death. You can run back to the, to the death, or you can run towards life. You actually have the ability now, because of God's Spirit in you, to run towards life. It says in verse 19, What we were before, what were we? We were slaves of impurity and to lawlessness. But he talks about this lawlessness as compounding, right? This lawlessness that, you see the trajectory, right? The lawlessness that leads to more lawlessness. It, it, it's not just like a little sample of lawlessness. Before we know Christ, we're, we're gorging ourselves with lawlessness. And we crave it more and more. The more that we eat, the more we want. The, the, more, the further down the path we go, the more lawlessness we want. It's this trajectory that he's describing. This lawlessness that we're slave to, it leads to more lawlessness. We're on a downward spiral to death. But now, he's saying that now that you've been made alive to God, we are able now to present our members, right? Give ourselves over, make ourselves available to as slaves of righteousness leading to what? Sanctification. Ah, you see the, you see the destination of each of each way, right? Death or sanctification. Well, what's sanctification? Sanctification is the process of God through His Spirit making us look more like Jesus. Giving us more and more life, more and more freedom, more and more joy, more and more happiness, more and more contentment, more and more peace. You don't, you don't want that? I think I want that. And so that's what He's saying. This is, what you, you, this is where you go now. 
you can you can offer yourselves to the old stuff and and you can you can eat death or you can you can offer yourself to to righteousness to God to to Christ and his ways and you can become more and more and more and more from glory to glory to glory more like Christ this is why he's saying it that question doesn't make sense by no means what do you mean what do you mean why would we continue to sin what He's like, guys, think about it for a second. You know, it's sort of like if you grew up on a diet of Sour Patch Kids and Kool-Aid. That's all you knew. That's all you could afford. All you can afford is Sour Patch Kids and Kool-Aid. That's all I eat all the time. And then one day, Jess Napolitano shows up. And she goes, hey, eating nothing but Sour Patch Kids and Kool-Aid is actually killing you. And you're like, what? These things are delicious. How could they be killing me? He's like, no, these things are actually killing you. This is why you have diabetes. And you're like, what? That's why I have diabetes? No way. She's like, yeah, it might taste good for a moment, but it's, but it's actually killing you. And you're like, oh, okay, well. And she's like, okay, here, I'm, I'm actually going to give you this plan. I'm a trained professional in how you should eat. So here's this plan for how to eat healthy. And you go, wow, well, thank you. She's like, but not only that, I'm actually going to take you to the grocery store, and I'm going to buy all the healthy food for you. Really? And not only that, but I'm going to come over to your house, and I'm going to cook you the meals. Of all the healthy food. And you're like, man, that's a, that's a pretty good deal. And you're like, I don't know. I think I'm going to go get some Sour Patch Kids and some, some Kool-Aid. And she's like, what? Why would you do that? <laughs> right? This is what he's talking, this is this example that he's given us. Like, you've been given this, like, amazing deal. Where you not only have the path to get there, but you're, you've been given the means by which to get there. And you're like, I don't know, but they got the watermelon kind out now. And you're like, no, it's killing you. Stop eating it. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And he says, look at the fruit that it's producing. And look at the fruit that the Spirit produces. This is what he's saying in verse 21 and 22. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? He's like, think back. Think back to the fruit that you were actually seeing in your life. When you look back on all these things that you say that you're ashamed of, but you, you somehow keep being tempted to go back to them. Do you remember what, what you were actually like? Do you remember the state of your heart? Do you remember the state of your mind? Do you remember the state of your relationships? Think about that. What was the fruit that was being produced by this? See, for those things, for the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, The fruit you get 
leads to sanctification, and its end is what? Eternal life. I mean, come on. So really, it comes down to this, death or life. Which one do you want? Do you want death or do you want life? It's not complicated. In Matthew 6, Jesus says that man cannot serve two masters. You can't serve both, death and life. You can't dabble in death and dabble in life. You're serving one or the other. We're going to have a master, right? That's, that's, that's implied in what he's saying. You're going to have a master. Who's it going to be? And we see this, we see this sort of paradoxical thing where he, he says, like, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. See the transfer? You've been set free from sin to be enslaved to God. But God is the good master. He's the good king. He's the good ruler. He's kind. He's fair. He's righteous. He's just. He's patient. He's gentle. He's merciful. He's rich. That's a, that's a good master. That's somebody that we want to give our... Every, if we're honest with ourselves, we want that. We want someone to take care of us. We want to give ourselves to something that seems worth it. This is what he's offering us. And this gets right to the heart of it, doesn't it? This gets right down to the heart of what it means to follow Jesus. This gets right to the quick. I think it's a question that our that our world around us is desperately trying to answer. We're desperately trying to find an answer to this. Like what what is worth giving ourselves to? We we have to find something that's worth throwing our lives to. Every single person is looking for this. It's right at the question, just right at the heart of the question of the of the deconstruction movement, right? Of the of the sexuality discussions, of the political discussions of everything that's happening around us, what is good, what is right, what is worth giving ourselves to? Is following Jesus actually a good thing? Is it actually good? Or is it just a tool that people use to, to control people or manipulate them or oppress them? Is it actually good? We all have to answer that question, right? Is this actually a good thing? Is this worth giving ourselves to? And we see that the Bible's answer over and over and again, if we're honest, is a resounding yes. It is good. It is good to follow Jesus. It is good to give ourselves to Him. It is good to lay our lives down before Him. Offer up our souls to Him, our destiny, our future, our hope. To lay our reputation on the line to lay our comfort and our safety on the line, to lay it all down and say, okay, I'm trusting you. You say that it's good for me, and I'm trusting you. And I'm seeing from what you're all throughout your Bible that you're saying that it's good, and this is what I'll get, and that it's worth it, and that your, your glory is, is, is good to be seen by all. Is that actually true or not? Giving ourselves to anything other than Jesus Anything, giving our true and highest allegiance to anything other than Jesus, it will lead to death. It produces only death. That's the fruit of it. 
It's the destination. We see this contrast very well in Galatians 5 again, where Paul is talking about this same idea. I just want to read through this as a reminder for us as we close. In Galatians 5, we're starting 19. He's, he's highlighting these, these two, the fruit of each of these paths. Now the works of the flesh are evident, he says. See if these sound familiar to us in our culture right now. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. <laughs> A lot of other things. He just got tired of writing them. Those sound familiar? That's the fruit of the flesh, he's saying. This is what the, fr- the flesh produces. When we, when we give ourselves over to our sinful nature, this is what produces. This is what happens. It's going to happen. And he says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who do things as, as, as uh, those who give themselves to those things primarily. If that's, if that's your trajectory, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. It doesn't mean you, you, you have to be perfect. You don't slip up, but we walk in repentance, right? We turn back to Jesus. When we, when we fall into these things, we turn quickly back to him. We confess and we repent and we run back. But he says, but there's another, there's another way. There's, a, there's another kind of fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. Well, what's the fruit of the Spirit? Well, it's love. It's joy. It's peace. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. Self-control. I I want those things. I want people to give those things to me. I want you guys to have those things. (laughs) Right? I want to interact with people who have those things. I don't want to interact with people who are full of anger and rivalry and division and envy and drunkenness and jealousy and strife enmity, impurity, sexual immorality. Like, I, I don't, th- those, those things hurt relationships, right? I mean, we don't have to think very hard about that. Those are the very definition of relationship-destroying traits. Can you imagine a people filled with love and joy and peace and, and handle each other with those things and treat each other with kindness and patience for good to one another we're faithful to one another. We're gentle with one another. We have self-control. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being with people like that? I can. I see it all the time. I get to interact with you. You guys have this. Uh, it's great. His spirit is, is bringing fruit in his people. I get, to, I get to work with pastors who, who have that. I get to be around men who have these things. And it's glorious, right? It's amazing. And he says, against these things, there is no law. We don't need laws if people act like this. And those who belong to Christ, he says, 
Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the, pl- the flesh. Ah, crucify that. Get it off me. With his passions and his desires, crucify it, kill it, mortify it. Use an old-timey church term. Why? As Paul wraps it up at the end of this. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God, and it's a free gift. You don't have to work for this. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to jump through hoops. You don't have to fill out paperwork. You don't have to go see, get a notary. You don't don't have to do any of it. It's a free gift, it says. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And when we receive this gift, man, now we can give ourselves to something worthwhile. We can give ourselves back to the one who gave us everything. We offer our lives back to him and we say, okay, here we go. I'm yours. I've been, I've been cut free from, from slavery and sin and death, and now I'm offering myself back to you. Why? Because you're, you're full of love, and you're full of joy, and you're full of peace, and you're full of patience and kindness, and you're full of gentleness and faithfulness and self-control and goodness. You're, you're full of all these. He, that is God. <laughs> that's Jesus. That's what he's like. That's what, it, that's what sanctification is. We're, we're being made into those things because that's what Jesus is like. He's the perfect embodiment of all of those things and more. (laughs) So the wages of sin is death. But friends, (laughs) this morning, there's a free gift that God is offering to people who who will throw their hands up and quit trying to save yourself and run to him and set down all of your self salvation projects and turn to him. And throw yourself at his feet and receive what he is offering. Forgiveness, cleansing, life, joy. He's offering these things. And we offer back in response our whole selves. <laughs> we don't do it begrudgingly like, I don't know. No, no. We throw ourselves before him like, yes, I will give all of myself to that. That's worth it. And this works itself out, right? What do we choose in the moment? When you leave here, you're going to have the opportunity, if you are God's child, if you are his, if you belong to him, if you don't belong to him, you don't really have this opportunity. You have the opportunity now to give yourself to him, and then you will have that opportunity. But if you're, if you're his, when you leave here, and you drive, and you go to try to turn left on High Street, Right there, you have that moment, right? You have the choice to give myself to my flesh or to give myself to the ways of Jesus, to his kingship. And if I'm not imbibing him, if I'm not beholding him and drinking him in and and looking at his ways and remembering them and studying them and and talking about them, I'm going to forget about them. And I'm going to go back to what I know, which is what? my flesh, and my slavery. I'm going to go back to that. And I'm going to get angry before I even leave this parking lot. I'm going to be like, these people don't know how to drive, right? I'm gonna, that's going to be me before I leave the parking lot. If I'm not, if I'm not walking in the Spirit, if I'm not giving myself over to the Spirit, if I'm relying on my 
my natural instincts that linger, it's, gonna, it's not going to be good. But if I give myself to him, he will produce in me what the spirit produces, which is what I actually want. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We praise you for this. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy and your kindness. That you have not left us alone. You have not cut us free and, and sent us out to sea to figure out life. But you have given us yourself. And you promised us that you will never leave us. You will never forsake us. And you promised us that what you began in us you will see to completion. You have promised us those things, God. And so we cling to those promises this morning. And for those of us who don't know this, maybe there are some, even in this room right now, who don't know this. We don't, we've not experienced this freedom yet. God, I pray. God, I pray this morning that you would invade their hearts. I pray that they would let go of what they think is going to bring them joy what they think is going to bring them purpose and hope and freedom, even though they, they know that it hasn't yet. And they would listen to you, and you would say that those things are going to lead you to death, and that you would, you would help us to turn to you, to lay ourselves down before you, to accept what you are offering, this free gift of grace this morning. And we would trust in you. So help us to do that, God. In Jesus' name, amen.